You're listening to Marist Connections, a podcast produced by the Marist Alumni Office, highlighting members of the Marist family, including our alumni, students, faculty, staff, coaches, and many more. Hi, guys. I'm Amanda Betton, Assistant Director of Alumni Relations at Marist and a graduate from the class of 2011. For the sixth season of Marist Connections, we're bringing you stories of alumni athletes. Today, we're talking with Brian Corrigan and J.D. Recor, who played lacrosse at Marist before playing professionally. Hey, guys. How's it going, Amanda? Good, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Brian graduated from Marist in 2018 with a degree in business and a concentration in finance. In high school, he was named All-American while playing for West Hampton Beach High School. At Marist, he played goalie for the men's lacrosse team. He was named MAC Defensive Player of the Year twice, an academic All-American his senior year. In 2015, the team won the MAC championship. After graduating, Brian played for the New York Lizards lacrosse team from 2018 to 2020. He now works in New York City as an underwriter for Chubb Insurance. JD graduated from Marist in 2017 with a degree in communication and again in 2019 with a master's in integrated marketing. While at Marist, he played attack for the men's lacrosse team. He was named to all MAC four he was named to All-MAC team four times, holds the record for all-time career assists for both Marist and the MAC, and was named Marist Sports Person of the Year in 2017. He was on the team with Brian in 2015 when they won the MAC championship. After graduating, J.D. coached Marist lacrosse from 2018 to 2019 and played professionally for the Charlotte Hounds and the New York Lizards. He now works in New York City as a business solutions supervisor for Horizon Next. Thank you guys for joining me this morning. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thank you for having us. Doing well. Great. So I always like to start with how you first got started with the cross. Like what drew you to the sport? And JD, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I started playing around fifth or sixth grade um, just as a, in the local youth program. Um, I played hockey when I was really young. Um, so I guess that kind of translated into lacrosse. Um, and started around around fifth grade and and, and loved the loved the game. Yeah, and Brian, how about you? So I was actually uh, originally a baseball guy, um, but my next door neighbor, um, Ralph Pepe, he actually coached at Southampton College, which was Division Two back in the day. His son um, ended up going to CW Post and winning a national championship there. But uh, he kind of introduced me to the sport, um, just hanging around him, um, and obviously him being my next door neighbor kind of got assimilated into lacrosse at an early age um, and then just kind of went from there. Yeah. And then how did you choose Marist? How did you end up here? So there was a number of schools I was looking at. Um, being from Long Island, Stony Brook and Hofstra were the two schools that um, a lot of the Long Island kids like to go to, obviously, because of the location that's close to home. Um, but things didn't pan through with um, those two schools. And then I ended up going on a visit to Marist um, after Coach Wilkinson wrote a, a handwritten letter. Um, didn't really know where, where Marist was. Um, didn't really know much about the school. But when I went to Marist, visited him, Coach Abrazzini and Coach Lang, um, I fell in love really quick with the campus, um, the atmosphere, and the team right away. So um, probably the best decision I've made in my 27 years of life so far. Um, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Awesome. Yeah. And how about you, JD? How did you find Marist? Um, well, similar to Brian, you know, I had a, a few schools that had, had reached out to me and um, I thought it was honestly Coach Wilkinson making such a personal impression on me and 
and really, you know, showing me the culture that Marist has and it's continuing to build to this day. Um, and I also had a, uh, who, who is now a coach, Dave Scarcello was from my high school in Buffalo, New York, um, who, you know, really honestly recruited me just as much as coach Wilkinson did. And, um, you know, brought me in with the team and, and really gave me a look into the culture of the program and, and the school overall and um, made it a very easy decision to, to join Marist. Yeah, you both mentioned the coaching and the culture. How important is that teamwork and that camaraderie in a sport like lacrosse? I can take that. Uh, I think it's vital for for a program to to have that kind of culture, both on and off the field. Um, you know, doing the right things um, to represent the program, um, and obviously on the field, you know, doing everything in your power to to help the team win and and do your part. Um, you know, whatever role you, you, you are asked to have on the team, I think, um, you know, it's, it's paid dividends and it shows um, with the success of the program. So, Brian, I'll start with you and then, J.D., you can chime in if your experience was different. But how do you go from playing in college? Obviously, you get your degree in something specific. How do you make that decision to try and continue a sport professionally? And is it something you apply for? Do you get recruited? How does that kind of work? So it's a little bit different than college. College, you kind of get recruited. Um, a, a number of coaches come out to you or send you letters, emails and whatnot, and then you kind of make that decision. But after college, they usually have a college draft. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't selected in that initial draft, but kind of luckily for me, um, there was a, kind of a change in the sport where um, they created a second league called the PLL, which is still existing to this day. Um, and a lot of the guys from Major League Lacrosse, um, which was the lone league back to, back in the time in 2018, um, kind of left and, and transferred over to the PLL. So there was a, a plethora of spots open, I would say around 200, 250 open spots in the MLL now that there was two leagues. Um, and then over the summer, they had a draft to fill up those 200 spots of the guys who left to go to the other league. Um, and that's where I was picked up. Um, and I stayed with the lizards for the next two years, um, unfortunately, until the league folded um, last year. But it wasn't something that I applied for. It's kind of you just play your career. Um, and then if you get a call, you get a call. And if you don't, um, that's that's kind of the end of your uh, uh, competitive career. Makes sense. Was it the same for you, JD? I'm pretty similar. I think uh, I was actually taken in, in the collegiate draft after my senior year. Um, and it was kind of out of the blue, I didn't really expect to be drafted. I was kind of following it actually on Twitter with my family in my backyard and um, found out I, I was taken um, by New York. Um, so it was a cool moment, um, kind of surprised to, to, to get that call. But, um, and then after that, you know, I, I was, this is back when the MLL was the only league like Brian mentioned. So um, was kind of a practice squad player my first year there. Um, was actually released by the team and picked up by Charlotte in that supplemental draft Brian mentioned as well. Had a tryout there. Um, didn't end up making that team um, at the time and then was picked back up by New York and remained there for, for another season and a half and finally got my opportunity to, to um, hit the field and play um, once uh, the MLL kind of, you know, had those, those extra opportunities within the league. Um, so that was kind of, kind of my story, but it's, um, you know, similar to Brian's in that, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's whatever the coaches kind of evaluate. And if you get, you get signed, you get signed. If, if not, you know, it's the end of the end of your career. So, 
um, was definitely fortunate to get, get some opportunities in the week. You guys had some time overlapping them that one season at the Lizards. Was it interesting to meet up with another Amerist alum while, while playing for like a New York team? I, I mean, it was awesome. Always playing with JD. Me and JD actually came into Marist together um, in 2013. I actually had a fifth year of eligibility because I redshirted earlier in my career. And then JD ended up coaching me at Marist. So um, just going from that player role where we're hanging out every day, being players, and he was the coaching role. And then being back to, to teammates again was awesome. Um, obviously, it's nice to, to go to a training camp and go to practice and have that comfortability with somebody that you know. Um, and just playing with JD, it's always it's always awesome. Um, we're two competitors, so we, we go back and forth. But uh, like I said, going from a player or a teammate, then him coaching me and then back to being teammates again, um, it was something awesome, uh, especially with – Another guy, Michael Begley, who was um, played with us. And then we had other guys who were on the practice squad, like Johnny Vi. Um, so we had a nice core group of Marist uh, alumni playing for the Lizards at one point. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, and then just sticking with you for a minute, Brian, do you have like a yep. favorite lacrosse memory, like as a whole, whether it's for the Lizards or for Marist? Um, I got to go with the 2015 MAC championship, uh, the team that we had. Um, where we went 13 and three in the regular season ended up being Brian uh, beating Brian in the, the playing game. And then going on to, to Syracuse and playing in the dome. That was one of the most fun teams I've ever been a part of. Um, and just one of the most talented teams I've ever been a part of top to bottom. Um, I actually, that was the year I actually redshirted, but those are probably the, that, that season is probably the, the most memorable se memorable season that I've ever had in um, any sport across my career. That's awesome. And how about you, JD? Yeah, I have to, to echo that. I think that was, you know, just a great run to have with a team that, um, you know, had overcome, you know, losing the MAC championship the year before, um, returning a lot of the core group and, and you know, having a lot of great players across the entire roster that, um, you know, helped the team to win. And um, like Brian said, having, um, you know, from top to bottom, just a great group of guys that believed in each other and, um, and a great coaching staff that that led us the the whole way to something you know that hasn't been done I believe in, in the max sense. You were then coaching in 2019 and the team had a really good run that year as well did they win that year? Yes yeah so I was that was uh, my second my second year of coaching um, we won the 2019 MAC championship with a with a great group um, that you know, similarly had, uh, you know, a, a great team top to bottom, a lot of guys that, you know, played a, a specific role and were, were great in, um, you know, accomplishing that for Maris, which, um, you know, it's tough to do in, in a conference that, you know, only four teams advanced to the tournament um, where it gets competitive and, um, you know, just a, another great team that, that the coaching staff built there. That's awesome. So as someone who's coached, what advice do you give or would you give high school or even college aged athletes, whether it's about work life balance or pursuing it professionally or finding a college? Yeah, I think I think just being consistent in your craft and, um, you know, applying yourself um, is, is so important. And, you know, dealing with adversity is something that that especially as an athlete at Marist, you deal with and you bring kind of into the professional world and, um, you know, going through hard times and, and you know, leaning on a teammate uh, to, to pick you up or picking up a teammate that's down. Um, those are definitely lessons that I, um, you know, learned as a, 
both as a coach and as a player um, that I use, you know, every day in my, in my career as, uh, in media. Brian, you had mentioned earlier that the Lizards team folded in 2020. Was that pandemic related and how did it kind of affect the sport as a whole? Yeah, so back in 2020, the last season of the MLL, we had a, a shortened COVID season where um, we actually played five games in seven days up in Annapolis, uh, Maryland. And obviously due to COVID, we weren't allowed to have any any fans. Um, so I think that year and then the year before was kind of a similar situation um, where we just, the revenue of the league wasn't where it wanted to be. Um, and then especially with the PLL forming, um, a lot of the, the lacrosse attention was kind of more focused on that league um, where they're more of a, a tour based schedule. So um, the MLL was you had cities affiliated behind the teams like the New York Lizards, the Boston Cannons, where um, the PLL right now is um, all six teams, all seven teams in the league travel to one city um, every weekend. So um, you're kind of reaching more of a, a target audience across the across the country, um, even outside of the country. They're playing in some games in Canada and whatnot. Um, but that 2020 season playing those five games in seven days was definitely, um, definitely took a hit, uh, I would assume on the, on the revenue side of things, um, with the MLL. Um, and then we got that, that probably a message two, three months later that, um, the MLL was kind of being bought out by the PLL. Um, and then they were going to go back to one league. Um, so like I said, we had those two leagues, the MLL and the PLL kind of competing against each other, um, per se, for, for two years. And then um, after that COVID season, I guess, um, for the best interest of the sport, they decided to to switch back to that one league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. It's unfortunate, but I could see where, mm -hmm. where having those two things offering such a very similar product for the yep. fans made it difficult to kind of promote both. You did mention traveling a little bit. Did you get to go to some pretty cool cities or states or even other countries at all while playing? Never outside the country. Um, so the MLL, they had, there was, I want to say six or seven teams. So there was Boston, um, got to travel to Boston, then Denver, um, Atlanta was pretty cool. Never been to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, where else? Who else was, uh, Connecticut um, at the time, Connecticut Hammerheads. Um, so definitely a couple cities. The coolest one I would probably say is Denver playing in Mile High Stadium where the Denver Broncos play now. Um, was definitely a cool, cool experience going into that locker room, um, just seeing kind of how the NFL uh, landscape of the field, the locker room and whatnot is a pretty cool atmosphere to be, be a part of. Very cool. And JD, how about you? Did you have a favorite city to visit or place to play? I honestly didn't really travel as much around, around the league into different stadiums. I did play in Boston. Um, so I would say Boston would have to be it for me. Um, that was on the tail end of like a like a back and back back to back games. Um, so we played at home on Long Island and then traveled right to Boston that night, um, which was cool. To, you know, bond with the team and and you know staying in the hotel with with the guys and 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 bond that way. That was our first two games right out of training camp too. So um, pretty cool experience for sure. Yeah, so the whole time you're playing for the Lizards, were you also working a full-time job? And is that easy to balance? Or did you have to kind of find a way to make that work? So, yeah, uh, most of the guys in the league, they, uh, they have two jobs. Um, so usually you work Monday through Friday, and then Friday after work, 
um, they'll fly you out, or depending if you have a home game, um, you just drive to our, our home stadium was Hofstra, so we practice Friday night. It's probably around like 8, 8.30, so it gives enough time for, for people who get off at 5 o'clock um, to get into town and, and kind of settle in. Um, but there definitely was some struggles. Um, sometimes I would have to take a half a day on Friday or take the full day off if my flight was at 4.30 or 5, and obviously I wouldn't be able to make it if I got off work at 5 o'clock. But um, that's kind of the sacrifice you, you kind of give up to, to continue playing the sport that you love. Um, so kind of how that, that works is you, like I said, you fly out Friday night on an away game, practice Friday night, then you kind of have a walkthrough on Saturday morning, play the game Saturday night. And, uh, depending on flight availability, you either fly back Saturday night or Sunday morning. So, um, during the summer, some weekends you got to give up 4th of July weekend, some Memorial day weekend. But, um, like I said, that's the sacrifices you kind of, kind of make to continue playing the sport that you love. So. I mean, either of you can answer this, but is lacrosse, when played professionally, a, a summer sport? What is the season? Because I know at the college level, it's a spring sport, correct? Yeah, they. it's definitely a, a summer schedule. Um, they do, they now, the PLL does a really good job with kind of having it start right after the college season. Um, they actually just had their collegiate draft. Um, so the players know kind of where they're going to be playing for the summer. Some of them are still continuing as the NCAA tournament's occurring right now. So um, they definitely have, have changed that um, from past years. And, you know, they have a really good, um, you know, tour-based schedule that, um, you know, is throughout the summer when, you know, the other kind of professional leagues are kind of off, like, um, you know, hockey, basketball, and football aren't, um, you know, taking up a lot of the TV airtime. So um, they definitely have a, a, a great schedule. And now they're playing on ESPN for the summer, which is really exciting for the sport overall. Yeah, nice. That, then that makes a lot of sense, like to move it into the the season where you said like you're not competing for airtime um, against some of maybe the more bigger draws with basketball and football. So that's a really smart decision. Um, as you are kind of transitioning out of playing, is there anything that you're still hoping to accomplish within the sport? Do either of you want to return to coaching, whether that's, you know, for younger kids or college? Um, do any of you, do either of you still want to play at all or where kind of are you with your relationship with lacrosse? And I guess I'll start with JD because I know you've coached before. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've kind of, after I finished my degree and, and kind of as a graduate assistant at Marist, um, you know, I've really kind of been focused on my career for in media, which was what I studied at Marist um, for the last few years. Um, and, I, and I enjoy my job and obviously love lacrosse as well. So would love to, you know, down the road, you know, get back into coaching in, in some form. I'm just not sure where, where that is yet. Makes sense. And you, Brian? Yeah. So, so currently right now I do a little bit of uh, training on the side, but um, coaching as a full-time position right now, I'm, I'm like JD said, I'm focused on um, my position as an underwriter at Chubb um, where, where I went to school for finance. So um, kind of, that's kind of where my focus is. But like I said, I, I still train, um, if there's like a, a local U team in my area, I'll go help out and coach, um, and whatnot, but, um, I'll always be involved in this sport no matter what. So hopefully one day I'll have kids and kind of do the same thing that, that those guys did for me. Um, like my next door neighbor did for me. Um, but like, like JD said, I'll always be involved in the sport. So you never know what door will open up down the road. Um, I love seeing little kids succeed, um, throughout the high school level. And it's awesome when, when you can help a kid get into college for um, playing a sport that they love. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I've been ending all of these interviews with the question, what's your favorite Marist memory? Um, and Brian, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Do you have a favorite Marist memory? Favorite Marist memory. Oof. I mean, that, that 2015 MAC championship obviously holds a, holds a deep spot in my heart. But, I mean, walking across the stage and getting a degree from Marist is, is pretty special. I mean, Marist is an institution that's – that's second to none. Um, and like I said, to play lacrosse there and, and walk across and get a degree um, and, and walk around and, and go on any interview and say that I went to Marist College loud and proud. I mean, that's that's something that um, nobody can ever take away from me um, graduating from Marist College. But like I said, from an athletic standpoint, that, that 2015 MAC championship team, um, there was just so many special moments top to bottom, whether it was on the field or off the field. So um, those guys are going to be – my best friends for life. So um, you can't really take that away from me either. Yeah, absolutely. And JD? Yeah, I think the MAC championship obviously stands out, but um, I think the next game beating Bryant at, at home in front of uh, a great Marist crowd was one of the better memories I've had at Marist. Um, and then, you know, to, to go on and, and play in the Carrier Dome and represent Marist and, um, you know, highlight a, a player like Eddie Coombs was for the program. Um, was definitely a highlight um, and being able to, you know, have his father, Eric, see, see his son's name on ESPNU was um, definitely a highlight. And I know it meant a lot to, to the program overall. Um, and obviously graduating from Marist with, with your best friends that, you know, you spent four years with, um, you know, was very special as well. And, you know, being able to graduate twice from there and, um, you know, you know, stay on as, as a coach was, was a blessing. Um, and I'm, you know, grateful for Maris for, for giving me that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I've heard, as I said, I'm asking this at the end of every interview and I hear that a lot, you know, it's about the people, it's about the degree. Um, the Maris green also seems to be a popular answer. Um, <laughs> and then obviously those like standout moments, whether it's a championship game or I was speaking with Isaiah Lamb about winning in Dublin. And it's just like, oh, yes, as an athlete, you're going to have these kind of amazing once in a lifetime experiences with this core group of people. And that's always going to stick with you. And I think that's just really special. That's fine. That's great. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk with me. Um, for those listening, I hope you'll join us again next week as we continue our series highlighting Red Fox athletes. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can keep in touch and know every time we post a new episode of Maris Connections. We'll continue to bring you conversations with alumni as well as students, faculty, staff, coaches, and others essential to the Maris community. If you have suggestions for future podcast themes or guests, please email maristalumni at maris.edu. You can also check out Marist Alumni on Facebook or official Marist Alumni on Instagram. Have a great day, everyone.